Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Psalm chapter 32. This psalm is attributed to King David and it's called a masculine of David or a teaching of David. But many have noticed over the years that this psalm has a penitential nature to it. Let me give you an example of a penitential psalm. Psalm 51 would be a great example of a penitential psalm. If you remember Psalm 51, David wrote right after Nathan the prophet confronted him with his sin with Bathsheba. So he writes this psalm asking for God's forgiveness. Now, some people believe there's a theory that Psalm 32 was written after the 51st Psalm. For example, in Psalm 51.13, David talks about how he would teach the sinners. He's learned his lesson about sin, and he's going to go and spread this message of forgiveness and and really staying away from uh, falling into the pit of sin. And so he wants to instruct others not to fall in the same trap that he has. So many think Psalm 32 is that hope of David, that this is a teaching, but you're going to notice that it has a type of penitential nature too as we read through it. Notice that this psalm is broken up into four parts. When we read it, you're going to notice verses 1 and 2 are a type of jubilation where David talks about this forgiveness he has from God. The second part, verses 3 through 5, is what it was like for David before he confessed and after he confessed. The third part is verses 6 through 7, where there's this deliverance and salvation for those who seek the Lord. And the fourth part, verses 8 through 11, this is lessons for sinners that they must learn. So this breaks up nicely into four sections. So let me read this to you now. Maybe you can pick up those four sections as we read through it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as if the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteousness, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, one reason we picked this psalm for this week, you're going to notice the rest of this week, we're going to have readings from the book of Romans chapter 4. In the very beginning of this psalm, where it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That is quoted word for word, or in most part, by the Apostle Paul, that part, that our iniquity is not counted against us. So you're going to hear this again as we go through the book of Romans. So Paul is very familiar with this psalm and uses it to build his argument in Romans chapter 4, which I find pretty cool. 
Now, one thing I want you to notice is David talks about the comprehensive nature of sin in this psalm. And there's something we can learn from this today. There are three words used for sin in this passage. One is pasha, which is the word in Hebrew for rebellion. The other is chatath, which is falling short. It would be a lot like the usage of the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word for sin means missing the mark. It's a lot like an archer who is shooting at a target and falls short or misses the target. And that's the nature of that word, uh, shatath. Also, there's the word iniquity or corruption, or you could also translate it as perversion. And so as we think about what David is trying to tell us about sin, sin is comprehensive. It's rebellion against God personally. This is a personal affront against God. This is not abstract. It's God in whom we are rebelling against. Then there's this falling short of the law of God. So we're getting a full picture of what sin is. Sin is a rebellion against God and his plan. It's also falling short of God's law, what he wants for us. And it's also the idea of corrupting or perverting the image of God. In some way, when you sin, you mar God's image in you. And I've said this before when we talked about our Romans podcast. Idol worship actually shapes the person into what they worship. So you become something that God never intended for his creation. As we think about God's temple, God's temple is this earth. You can look at the the language of Eden and Eden is temple language. And God put his image bearers in his temple, which that would be us. And it's really crazy, almost obscene when God's image bearers bow down to other images. It makes us less of what God called us to be. And that's what sin does to us. So there's this comprehensive nature of sin. And that speaks directly to this therapeutic, moralistic deism that people abide by in today's church. Now, what do I mean by that? It's a mouthful. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. Well, therapeutic, we have turned Christianity into therapy. It's something that just makes me feel better. And of course, there's things about the Christian faith that do make you feel better, but that's not the main purpose is to make you feel better. Then moralism. Moralism is this idea of just do right and do, don't do wrong. We've reduced Christianity to this list of, you know, don't do this and do this. So just moralism. And then deism is the idea that God is not involved with this planet at all, that he's up in heaven hanging out and saying, good luck, guys. Try really hard, do the best you can. And that I think, and this is my opinion, is what the church has become in so many ways. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. And David is blowing that up and he's saying, listen, your problem, your sin problem is much more drastic than anything that therapy could fix. There's something very wrong with us as human beings. And so the answer we find in this psalm, which is a beautiful answer, we get three answers of grace. First, we're told that we're forgiven, that our sins in some way have been lifted off of us, Secondly, there's a covering for our sin, which is the idea of atonement. In the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the temple and would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the ark that was called a propitiation. So in some sense, there was this covering because of the pollution of sin. Sin pollutes our relationship with God. Sin pollutes the environment around us. Sin causes pollution even in our relationships with other people. And so there needs to be a covering for that pollution because of sin. But then the third part is our sin is not reckoned against us. Now, this is a bookkeeping term, and we're really good at this. When people wrong us and hurt us, we keep good records of that. 
But we're told that God doesn't do that with us. And thank God for that, that he doesn't keep up with our sin like a bookkeeper and reckon it against us. And that's going to be one of Paul's main arguments in chapter four. So he turns to this teaching part, though, as you get around verse nine. He says, look, and don't be a donkey. Don't be a donkey. Now, we could use another word there uh, that would illustrate this point, but we will not. But Paul's telling him, don't be a hardhead. Don't kick against the goads. Don't kick against God. Don't push back. Don't be some obstinate animal because a lot of times when we sin, that's really what we're acting like, an obstinate beast of burden. It's not very intelligent is what Paul or what David is saying. And then this idea that we must be broken, broken to this point that we know we need mercy and our response is gratitude. That's the only proper response. We realize our position before God the dire nature of our sin, and that God saves us and doesn't impute our unrighteousness to us, but he forgives us and we don't deserve that. And the only answer from us is gratitude. Now, this destroys the idea of Christian um, humanism. Now, there's a good type of Christian humanism, so don't hear me wrong, but there's a bad type of humanism that has crept into Christian theology. And it sounds something like this. You hear people will say this, well, I just don't think God would do such and such. And there's some part of the Bible they're not comfortable with. There's something maybe with the sexual purity code of the Bible or something that seems archaic to a 21st century liberated, quote unquote, liberated person. And they take issue with that. And they put themselves at the center. And David reminds us really quick that we have no right to do that. We are sinners. We're rebellious. We have marred the image of God. And we need grace. And the only response is gratitude. Gratitude is the proper response. So let's take that message with us today. Let's take the message of the comprehensive nature of sin, but also the good news, the comprehensive nature of God's forgiveness for us. And our proper response to live the rest of this day and every day is thankfulness and gratitude.